Hello guys, you're so welcome here today to this podcast, which deals with all things in relation to narcissistic abuse, understanding it and surviving it and actually going on to thrive. Okay. Uh, Hello and welcome to the Saving Grace podcast. On this, my first ever episode, I really couldn't think of anyone better to join me today than a lady who has inspired me so much in recent times. She really has been my saving grace on days when I needed her to breathe wisdom and guidance into my soul. I came across Paula Darcy's YouTube channel, Narcon, on my continuous search for answers and every single video Paula recorded spoke to me. It was like finding my guardian angel, She would often be playing in my ears as I fell asleep at night or accompanying me on my work commute each morning because everything she said I had experienced and could identify with on a deep level. Paula's YouTube channel is relatively new but already has thousands of views and followers which is an indication of just how many people are impacted by having a narcissistic person in their lives. And I know her channel will continue to go from strength to strength, as it is just such a beacon of light and hope for so many. I am delighted to have Paula joining us today to tell us more about her journey from survivor to thriver and to help us identify a narcissist in our lives or in our workplaces by spotting those red flags early. So welcome, Paula. I am honoured that you're joining me today. You are one inspirational lady, and I am so humbled that I get to say thank you in person. Well, virtually. So thank you for keeping me sane, for educating me further, and for your words and wisdom being that big virtual hug that I really needed at times. So welcome, Paula. I'm so delighted that you're here with me today. Grace, thank you so much for asking me and thank you for that very beautiful introduction. You're so welcome. Um, I think we'll just jump straight in um, with the first question. Mm. And I suppose now, you know, we'll start off with explaining to our listeners just what is narcissistic personality disorder? Okay, okay, I'll do my best on this. Now, um, I'm not a psychologist. Um, I do know a lot about psychology. So I'll just give it to you in my own words, my own understanding of that um, from what I've come to discover. So we all go into the world and we develop our personalities. Um, Some people, their personalities develop in an unhealthy way. And it's usually the result of an abusive younger age childhood, it can, it's argued, be a genetic disposition towards the personality disorder as well. But that's the debate that goes on, we nature versus nurture. However, just to describe what it actually is, the young child um, in this abusive situation develops uh, what's called a defense mechanism And this is termed the narcissistic personality disorder. So what they do to defend their true selves from whatever critique is coming their way or from whatever abuse uh, they're going through, they it's like an imaginary friend. They develop this personality, this persona, this mask of a person that isn't their true selves to defend themselves or deflect the criticism coming towards them. 
And this person is like their superhero, so to speak, just to put it in in very easy terms. And this mask they hold up in front of them like a shield. And this is their personality disordered. This is the, the double of them, but not the real self. So they go out into the world holding this mask up to people to defend the true self. So the true self never develops. And the personality mask, so to speak, develops uh, by interacting with other people and getting the reflections of other people onto this kind of a mask. And in order for them to keep it intact, they have to interact with other people because it's not real. So it's called a defense mechanism. That's the personality disorder itself. But it's actually a very offensive mechanism because it's very aggressive in relation to it has to always be perfect. It's always right. It's a defender of the any criticism that that might come and get through the mask to the true self. So the, the narcissistic personality disorder is has to be maintained very in a very strong sense by the individual. And again, then any critique that comes at it gets boomed right back at the person. And any person that goes against the narcissist is put, the narcissist tries to put flat on their face so that they keep their shield up against their true self being harmed. I hope that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. No, that all resonates so much with me now that I I personally am a lot more educated in this uh, type of disorder. All of that just makes so much sense. And it's it's amazing how you don't realize it at the time. But when you look back, that is exactly how the person that I knew was presenting themselves to the world. Um, So yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. So how did you actually, how, how do you know so much about this disorder yourself? Okay, um, I was always interested in psychology mm-hmm. and very interested in people. I mean, anytime I'd go out or whatever, they used to say to me, oh, you know, close the clinic, Paula, because I'd be, you know, oh, oh why do you do that? And, you know, do you think it's because of this? So that's as a starter. So I had a hunger for psychology. So um, I had an incident about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, I, you know, empaths often attract narcissists, as we know. Absolutely. So we may, you know, have come across a few of this personality type in our life. And we may also have had some narcissism in our childhood, a narcissistic individual or a parent or family member. But I remember having a very, very traumatic and difficult relationship. And I, I did before that have a normal one. So I had a contrast you know, which is good. Some people, unfortunately, at an early stage will meet a narcissist quite early on and then they've nothing to measure it against. But um, yeah, so I I had a very, very bad and traumatic time and I went for some counselling. Now, I still didn't know about narcissism, but I was able to escape that relationship. Then years later, again, I kind of shut down to relationships for, I don't know, about 10 or 12 years. And I just got on with bringing my children up and the the things we have to do in life and work. And I came across another individual and that relationship ended very obscurely. And at that stage, I did what we all uh, do. Googled, you know, what's this all about? Like, why, you know, 
this isn't normal, etc. So at that stage, I came across Sam Vaknin, I think is the name, is the way you say his name. Okay. And I was fascinated and I looked at so many of his videos and he's an, an amazing person. He was the first person to actually, I think, go on YouTube and discuss the personality disorder. He's very technical, which can be a difficult for, you know, for some people to, to really stick with it and, and find out what it's all about, but he's excellent. So at that stage, um, I kind of left it then. I, I recovered. Then I had a significant relationship and a dreadful discard. And after that, I think it was two months after that, I was walking along on a walk. I even remember the place I was in. And it came to me thoughts, he couldn't have been a narcissist, could he? I don't know where it came from, but I thought, oh, my God, no. And I, I, I didn't want to accept it because I wanted the relationship to have been real, and the love to have been real. Yeah. So at that stage, I did. I Googled again. And now a plethora of channels came up on YouTube, you know, about the narcissistic personality disorder. If you put in just being dumped, you know can't understand it, uh, don't understand these kind of things. And then the narcissistic personality disorder comes up. Yeah. And well, yeah. Just when you're saying there that you were kind of questioning, was he a narcissist? I personally didn't even know what a narcissist was. I had no idea. I hadn't even heard of the word. Whereas in today's society, it is a, a word that's being used some people say it's being overused and we have to be very careful, you know, not to brand somebody a narcissist when they do not have narcissistic personality disorder. And some people think a narcissist is someone who loves taking selfies or who loves themselves, but it's just not that. It's so much deeper than that. And I think it's really important for people to understand really what narcissism is. So when I went searching and I went Googling different, um, what does this behavior mean? You know, and then narcissism started to come into my world and in, into what I started to research. And then pennies just started to drop. But up until that point, I didn't even know what a narcissist was. I was very, very uneducated in that area. Um, and I suppose that's where my passion for the awareness of it comes now, that it's really important that we understand this disorder because there are things to look out for. And you spoke earlier, uh, you just mentioned there the word discard. Now, a lot of our listeners may not have even heard of that word discard. Um, I'm very aware of discard and how it happens. So would you mind speaking through maybe, um, I guess, the, the traits of a narcissistic relationship from beginning to end? Because I'm sure we both have experienced exactly the same thing. So how a narcissistic relationship will begin and how they will end. Okay. Okay, so the narcissistic personality disorder um, is on different levels. There's different types of uh, people within that, you know, that have this disorder, but there is a diagnosed and recognized pattern for how they run their interpersonal relationships. So I would concentrate mainly on the intimate relationship where it's kind of easier to see the personality disorder because you've been experienced, you know, you have the experience with one person on a one-to-one -one basis. Um, and so it's often where they show the disorder more because don't need time to time. So 
the, the start with the narcissist is out of this world in relation to the fact that they what's called love bomb you. So this is the first stage. And this narcissistic person will give you the most attention, the most intense validation of yourself, the most praise of, of you. And they'll also mirror you in that when you say you like something or indicate that this is who you are or you like this, they'll come back and say, oh, I do too. And I, you know, they want, they want you to believe that they are your soulmate and that you have met the one and the person that you were destined to meet. And it's all very, you know, wonderful. And you will feel it, it is like a drug. You will, no matter who you are, feel quite addicted to it uh, without realizing it's an addiction. You think that you're falling deeply in love and that you're developing a deep connection with this person. Yeah, um, that's something, that, again, that I completely resonate with. And then in my own learning, I realized that that then creates a trauma bond. Yes, it is very difficult to extricate yourself at the end of the relationship because there is such a spiritual, emotional, um, physical, in every way, sexual bond that the narcissist really works on gluing you to them, attaching you to them in that phase. Because once they get that invest, put that investment in you, they then went to want to harvest their crop, so to speak. I know that sounds terrible, but it is actually, in fact, what they do. So they want you to attach to them, but they don't attach to you. So they are able then to logically and coldly manipulate you mm -hmm. once they have you hooked in. Yeah, That's the love bomb stage. And then what happens then after the love bomb stage? Once once you are absolutely hooked in um, mm -hmm. and, you know, they know that they have you hooked, mm -hmm. uh, what, what will then happen? Okay, then it's the, the middle stage. But just before the middle stage starts, the narcissist will test your hooking, so to speak. So they'll give you little mini tests to see how into them basically you are, see how attached you are. And, you know, it can be like fantastic, say, for the first four to six months or whatever. And then all of a sudden they'll say maybe disappear or they'll triangulate you with somebody else just to see how much you chase them, how much you're attached to them, how much they mean to you. And after those little tests and if you, you know, come up, you know, what's wrong? I love you, you know, go after them basically and assure them that you are hooked to them. They'll start to devalue you in a number, an awful number of ways, because by devaluing you, they, they're kind of carrot dangling to you to say, well, I know that you love me and you want this to continue. So if you want this to continue, you have to be a good boy or girl mm -hmm. and do what I want you to do. And you're so invested in the love of your life, the most brilliant relationship, 
And they've also future faked with you and said, we'll get married, we'll have children, we'll have a business together. Our life is going to be amazing. And you are, you know, invested in it because it does, it has been amazing. So they have a power and control over you at that stage. And you will find yourself submerging your own personality when they start to critique you in order to maintain the relationship and kind of chase the relationship and do all the work you think you have to do to put in to keep the relationship going. But they will be devaluing you as a manipulation to get you to do what they want. And that is the devaluation phase. And the thing, the thing about the devaluation as well is that it can be so subtle that it's it's not, you know, um, overtly obvious. It, it's so subtle and it's over time and you mm-hmm. become more broken as time mm-hmm. goes on um, until, I guess, in my experience, I was so low and so broken, I couldn't understand how I'd let myself get to the place that I ended up in. It was very, very different to the person I've always been. Um, and it was a it was really was a horrible time. But you said there um, about triangulation. And I've come to uh, be aware that triangulation is a pattern. It is something that will continually happen. It's and, and it, do you want to explain just to listeners a little bit about what triangulation is? Because and it, it's extremely harmful. Um, I find that part so difficult. Mm. It's I, I think triangulation is excruciating. Um, I'd have to say personally, I didn't had never heard the word triangulation. I didn't know it was a manipulation technique. And I only found out about it through YouTube and listening to education about narcissistic personality disorder. So triangulation is when you're in a relationship, say, with this person or those two people, And this narcissist will pit you against somebody else in a competitive way. Mm -hmm. You don't realize that this is what they're doing. So just as a, say, a day to day thing and subtle is as it goes. So it is very hard to realize that you're being abused at the time, as you said, Grace. So they may bring up their ex in conversation gradually. And in the past, they may have, say, really given out about their ex and said their ex is crazy and they don't want anything to do with them and list a huge amount of um, critique against that person. And then they'll subtly change that. They'll subtly drop in. And she wasn't so bad, you know, because she did actually do this quite well. And it might be something you're doing at the moment and they'll compare you and this other person. And unfortunately as well, they may actually be communicating with this other person and bring it into your lives, bring this person into your intimate relationship. And you'll feel that you're in a kind of a threesome and you're working harder for the narcissist to say, um, well, you're the important person to me because they're deflecting over to the other person and praising them. And in praising them, they're kind of knocking you it's very subtle and it's very insidious and it's awful. It's a terrible form of getting you to compete for their attention it's without realising. It is awful. It brings back so many feelings of how I felt when it, when it did happen to me um, to pitch people off. And then I guess as a result of the triangulation, I personally lost my confidence. I was constantly comparing myself to the new supply 
Um, why was I not good enough? Why don't I have this? Is it because I'm not this? Is it because I'm not that? My self-esteem was in my ankles. Um, at that point, I lost a serious amount of weight, an unhealthy amount of weight, um, because my mind just wasn't right. Um, and I really, really did lose myself, you know, and I, I had no reason to, but inside, I just didn't feel good enough because I, again, I didn't know what triangulation was. It had never happened to me before. So if he's, um, coming out of the relationship with me and very, very quickly into mm. a relationship with somebody else and continues that pattern, you know, that is something that I just couldn't wrap my head around. And, and, and I've come to realize as well that the triangulation was happening before the end of your relationship, before your final discard. The new supply was already up and running. The new supply was already hooked. So it's very easy to have something there to jump straight into and to start the cycle all over again. Um, and that's that, that to me, it was I just could not get my head around that at all. Um, and I think that's, again, another quite a common trait, isn't it, in narcissistic, narcissistic relationships? It's really a common trait. Um, they will always have a backup supply or plan because, again, they don't attach to anyone. So for them, it's literally a game. It's like moving chess pieces around on a board. Yeah. They'll go to the old supply or they'll go to the new supply. Sorry, I know we call people supplies because they kind of, they supply the narcissist with what they need. So it's just a term we use in our community um, for your listeners that don't understand it. It's people, it's their new um, intimate partner, their old intimate partner, or they'll be cultivating new intimate partners. They can even be on dating sites. They can be flirting when they go out with people. They connect, they, they, they just because they don't honor the, a person as a person, they see people as objects that they have no problem um, jumping from one person to another. And it's a real sign of a narcissist if someone can just move on really quickly with somebody else. So it's, it's a diagnostic tool you can use, but it's very, very damaging and very upsetting for the person that has been with them you know, in, in a relationship. Absolutely. And it's, the new person and the new supply, as we just explained, that they go on to um, be with have absolutely no idea. And I, you know, being an empath, I genuinely feel for the next person who has absolutely no idea what's coming their way. They don't know their patterns because for people like you and I who have had to spend years researching, understanding what happened to us, why are certain people like this? you know, the new supply has absolutely no idea. And I, I guess just in my experience, I think they have a certain type. So what type of person does the narcissist pick up? I think that's really important to talk about because there is, I think as well, even in person to person, supply to supply, there is a common denominator in each of those people as well. I don't know if yes. you'd agree with that. Yeah. Yes, there is. Um, the narcissists have favorite um, types of people that they would like to have a relationship with. They don't always get it right because sometimes they panic pick and, you know, the relationship's falling apart or you leave them, which is unusual, but it does happen. And they have to jump onto somebody else 
who they haven't quite groomed up to be their new partner. So they can panic pick. But their ideal source of supply or their ideal person is someone who is full of empathy and is definitely naive about the fact that there are narcissists out there in this world with a personality disorder who are hunting for prey. So the combination of a huge amount of empathy that you openly display and also the the ability to introspect and to have a a vulnerability about you that you're not full of yourself at all, that you would have a chink maybe in your armor that they can easily manipulate. So that is their, they want, they live on, supposing, you know, you say a certain person lives on a certain type of food and say this person, given that we're Irish, this person lives on potatoes. Okay. That's their staple diet. Um, Emotional output is the narcissist's potato, basically. Yeah. That's what they go for. Yeah. So the their choice of person is somebody who has a large emotional output capacity to empathize. Absolutely. They, they don't like if, if they come across a kind of a person who's on a kind of a normal level, who's, who's showing that they back off a bit from the narcissist when the narcissist intensely comes at them and they're not, you know, they're not fast enough in attaching to the narcissist. The narcissist kind of goes, uh, you know, not that interested They'll, if they have to, if they panic pick, they'll go for them. But one interesting thing, Grace, is narcissists can often be fooled by other narcissists. Now, it's not their choice pick, but because they want to mirror each other and because they want to intensely connect to, you know, to start to form the relationship, the two of them can be playing a game and they can literally fool each other. And it takes a while while they're in the relationship to discover that aha, this person has my measure and the other person thinks the same mm-hmm. and they're not, they're having drama, but they're not feeding each other. So they're conflicting all the time and it's a very chaotic relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can understand how that would happen as well. I think, you know, in my own personal experience, it was um, the empathetic nature, just being such an empath. And I suppose growing up and living your life to give chances, you know, and second chances and third chances and too many chances. Um, And I suppose in lots of ways, losing your own boundaries, you know, learning when enough is Mm -hmm. enough. But going back to what we said previously about the trauma bond, when you're trauma bonded, it is extremely difficult to have boundaries and to know Mm -hmm. when enough Mm -hmm. is enough and to cut it off. Um, because we feel deeply as an empath we feel so deeply but can't understand how they do not feel the same in terms of their cold heart their cold nature their ability to just cut things off cut very dead and I suppose this brings us on nicely to we've spoken about at the beginning the love bombing and then the devaluation and then this brings us on now to the discard which will happen at the end of a relationship. And I think as well, there's lots of similarities into how that happens. Yes. Um, the discard is the third phase of the relationship. Um, I always say there's four, four kind of phases, but um, the discard is the third and excruciating phase of the relationship because you are working hard as an empath in trying to keep the relationship together and to, appease this other person that you're with 
and work on things. So as far as you're concerned, although the relationship is very difficult at times for you, uh, the relationship is still fully in existence. And you do get to the end where you're a bit exasperated and you're very depleted and you maybe begin to bring in some boundaries and say, you realize that, gosh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not getting anything here at all. All I'm doing is standing on my head and turning cartwheels for this person. And they're giving me nothing in return. In fact, they're being really awful to me. So you kind of start to say something inside you comes up and says, I'm going to set a boundary here. You don't say that, you know, consciously, but you ask them, maybe you test them. You say, this is really important to me. I need you to do this for me. And they agree and say, oh, yeah, no problem, no problem. And then when it comes to the time of them actually doing it, they don't do it. And it happens differently for everyone. But a switch goes off inside you. You've gone through so much abuse. You've been put down so much. And we have a final straw moment and we can come out with our truth at that stage or set more boundaries to see who, who, who am I dealing with here? Who is this person that mm -hmm. says they love me but aren't showing me in any way they love me? They're showing me the opposite. And if you then start to be less controllable to the narcissist, they are very likely at that stage to jump because mm -hmm. you're too much damn trouble to them, you know? And then they'll tell you, you know, how bad you are and you need to go and sort yourself out. You have issues. And at that stage, because you're in such a mentally confused state and so depleted and exhausted and a shell of yourself, you kind of go, do I have issues? You know, it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very confusing and very painful time because you're being totally rejected you're being dumped into the garbage can and they're going off as if there's nothing wrong with them in a superior position, leaving you a heap on the floor. And that I would describe as what we call the discard in, in our community. Yeah. And then when we're taking the time after all of that to heal, to properly heal, they're already sailing into the sunset with, with the new person um, who has absolutely no idea who they are. Um, just that that just totally, totally resonates with me. And when you were talking about the discard and how we can sometimes, I suppose, set boundaries or or at times kick back. You know, there is I, I, I suppose became involved in reactive abuse towards the mm -hmm. end, um, mm -hmm. which can very easily be twisted around that you're the crazy one. You know, you're unstable. You're this, you're that. Well, actually, I'm only reacting to the abuse that I'm receiving. And I think reactive abuse is something that I really had to start understanding as well, because you start thinking, is this me? Is Am I the problem? Well, no, because reactive abuse is a real thing. It's, mm -hmm. it's like a fight or flight um, re reaction, isn't it? It's You have nothing yeah. else to do but react in the end. And yeah. um, do you, can you explain reactive abuse maybe a little bit more? Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so the narcissist feeds on your emotional output. So in the devaluation stage, they will manipulate and provoke you to get you to react because if you react emotionally to something that they have done or because of them, they feel empowered by that. And that keeps this mask that we talked about in the beginning, um, this defense mechanism strong 
um, and they they're believing in it more because you're believing in it. You believe that this person that they're putting up to you actually exists. But in fact, it's just a caricature. And in behind that caricature is a two year old child cowering down and holding this up. So the more you know, you react to what they do, the stronger this narcissistic defense mechanism mask becomes. So reactive abuse in itself is they push you to the brink. They manipulate you every, every which way until you feel that you're actually going crazy. And some part of you that still remains your essence will react to that in a kind of a struggle to survive. And you can hit out. Like, it's like you're flaying in a room. You're not being yourself. You're just reacting like as if somebody's pounding you with their fists. You're putting your fists back up and you're punching back with, with no regard for where you're punching. It's like a, it's just a reaction to the abuse. It's not who you truly are. You're just trying to survive that person, the last bit of you that's inside that hasn't been sucked out of you. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a little bit like you reactively or you react and they, they can stand back and look at you like, this is what I mean. She is crazy. She, you know, this is exactly. And, you know, they will say this to their family who I now know are flying monkeys. And I'm sure we can explain that to our listeners as well, what a flying monkey is. But I've seen that narcissists have have this support network around them that are family or close friends who who are their flying monkeys and they believe everything that they say because they can manipulate you in such a way that you reactively um, so you react and they can stand back and go this is exactly what I mean this is exactly what I was talking about um, so do, can can you explain flying monkeys a little bit maybe sure um, I. Yeah. And just just Grace, just going back to the reactive abuse thing um, as well. Mm-hmm. Remember that the narcissist actually is feels inferior, but has to wants to feel superior. So when they see a beautiful, empathic person and see how wonderful you are, they're actually jealous and they do need to put you down. So they do manipulate you into this crazy state so they can prove to themselves that they were right, that you weren't all that really. So, you know, you're reacting in a terrible state, reactive abuse. And then they go after they've caused it. Ah, look at her. Look at him. You see, I was right all the time. So anyway, just I just wanted to add that it's an actual jealousy on the on the narcissist part. So flying monkeys. So flying monkeys are people that work on the narcissist's behalf to gather information and to pass on information to you without the narcissist having to directly put themselves in the firing line to be rejected or whatever. It's it's just another game they play. They send out their flying monkeys like the Wicked Witch on The Wizard of Oz, I think, sent her flying monkeys out and that's where the term comes from. But some people don't realize that they're being used by the narcissist and they genuinely think, believe everything the narcissist says about you being crazy. And they work on the narcissist's behalf with good intentions, believing that the narcissist is a good person who they say they are. The others, the narcissist has kind of love bombed, you know, and they want to be part of the narcissist's network and they look up to the narcissist and they're just the 
the coterie of the narcissist, basically. They want to be in their lives and the narcissist feeds them what they need, maybe in relation to validation or, or a job or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're getting something from the narcissist. So, but yeah, they're basically a third party communication form, bringing information to you and bringing information back from you. Yeah, I felt that as well. You know, no, I wasn't only dealing with a narcissist. I was dealing with all the narcissist fan monkeys who were their family members. And ironically, who the narcissist didn't always uh, get on with. Get on, yeah. You know, isn't this funny how, you know, mm. a narcissist might not necessarily like certain members of their family, but as soon as mm. the pressure's on them, they go running right back to that person who they claim to not like very much. And that person will then be there to back them up, support them, because as you mentioned, they are getting something back off that person, whether it be validation of some of some description, money, you know, financial support, whatever it may be. And so often when people are dealing with the narcissist, they're also having to deal with their flying monkeys as well, which can be extremely difficult to deal with, especially in my case when. When I went through this uh, period in my life, I was living away from my support network um, and that was the vulnerability that I had. And I know that was the the, the bait for the narcissist. It was I was so, um, I suppose, confident um, and independent in so many ways. But the little chink in my armor was that I was actually living away from home. I was living away from my loved ones who they knew I could only access on the end of a phone for long periods of time. And to be on my own, not only dealing with the narcissist, but the narcissist family, sometimes I look back and think, Grace, how did you ever mm-hmm. get, get yourself through that? Um, how did you, because the support on my part wasn't there. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that people should be aware of as well. You're not only dealing with them. Um, yeah. I kind of just want to move on to thinking about how the victim of narcissistic abuse really, really feels during this time. And I say that because reflecting on my own experience, you know, and, and this podcast, as you know, I may not have mentioned is for, I suppose, people in the education industry, people who are teachers going in and doing a job every day. You know, we have to be the best we can possibly be in order you know, for our students but we bring so much things into work that people just don't know about. And in my case, it was a bit like the iceberg where this is my front. This is who I am. I'm here every day doing a brilliant job. But if only you knew what was going on beneath the surface. And it's something I didn't want to talk about um, very much. I mean, I, I remember at the time speaking to very close friends about it, who were my saving grace as well. They were incredible. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, with every line of work and with everybody, there's always so much, you know, that's going on behind the scenes. Um, but I say that because although people could, didn't know what was going on from the outside, you could see that there was something not right in my life. As I explained earlier, the impact to me was a dramatic drop in weight. Um, I was there in person, not always there in in mind. Mm. But I would show I would show up every day because work as well was my saving grace. It was my purpose for getting up every morning. I had a job to do. It was it, you know, it got me out of bed. It, it, it gives structure to my days. But yeah, my, my weight plummeted, which the narcissist knew and never ever spoke about, never asked me if there was anything wrong with me. That kind of, you know, just didn't care mentality. Um 
But in addition to that, I suppose I my self-esteem was so low. I felt completely lost, completely mm-hmm. lost, com- so lonely and isolated. And when mm-hmm. I was in their presence, I felt like I was constantly walking on eggshells. Now, people listening to this would go, well, Grace, you get up and you leave. Like, you don't stay in that type of situation. But it's just not that easy. Because when you are trauma bonded and you're living each day in cognitive dissonance where you just have this brain fog that you just cannot see the wood for the trees. And this is why people stay, even though it's eating you up from the inside out. And then it did get to a point where the discard happened the second time because hoovering took place in between discard and then getting back into a relationship again. And for our listeners who don't know what hoovering is, it's it's when they come back insidiously into your life, um, often without um in, in quite a you know shocking way in terms of you're not expecting it, but they will come back into your life to see if they can the doors just slightly open to see if they can get back in, and then the patterns happen again. So for me personally, it was after the second discard that that was it that that was it that was it it is not happening again I was more educated the second time I knew what red flags to look out for but mm. you know it's the impact that these people can have on your mind on your body and literally from mm-hmm. the core of who you are and change who you are literally from the inside out and um that th- this experience is what got me really really interested in in, in mental health and well-being mm-hmm. in, in the workplace. Um, you know, I've never suffered, never had I ever suffered from a mental health condition. You know, I had a very nice upbringing, um, never suffered in any way, didn't even have any anxiety coming through school, nothing. This was the first time in my life that I felt feelings that I had never, ever come across before. And because it had never happened, I had no tools I had no tools to deal with it. So my massive passion now is to support staff and students with getting as many tools in their toolbox as they can, not just to deal with people of narcissistic um, personalities, but any, I suppose, um, hurdle that, that comes into their life because I just didn't have anything. And that's kind of why I'm on the path that I'm on now. Um mm-hmm. But I'm sure you recognize a lot of those things that I've just spoken about in terms of, you know, feeling insane and crazy and questioning yourself. Don't yeah. we question ourselves quite a lot? Hugely, hugely. And that is what the narcissist or an abuser of any sort will bank on your confusion and your lack of the ability to be confident in yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what they love. And I've come to recently realize that they thrive off your pain. It's your pain and your emotion that that feeds them. Um, so yeah. the more negative emotions you um, share or the more pain you're going through, it's what they thrive off. And in me, in my world, that that's on, it's almost like oh, it's unbelievable because I just didn't mm. understand that these people existed or that they were out there. Mm. So I suppose um, for anyone who's listening, Paula, um, who may be going through 
something similar or who can resonate with anything that we have spoken about today. How would you, um, I suppose, guide people in how they can heal from this type of trauma? You know, is there anything that you would advise people to do? Yes. Um, They're going on my own experience and what I've come to learn about what we've been through. I kind of take the healing on a, on a two-pronged approach. One, I would say, is educate yourself on the personality disorder or what you've been through. So YouTube is a great resource for that. It's free. You don't, you know, you don't have to spend any money or whatever. Um, the second part of that would be to support yourself if you can, if you're in a financial position to avail of coaching with someone that resonates with you, you know, that you've watched maybe. Um, on the other hand, the biggest defense against coming across or be, becoming involved with another narcissist is to rebuild yourself because the narcissist Sorry, sorry, Grace, about the background noises. I actually have Remy, my dog, here. Oh, so <laughs> that's not coming through too much. Not a problem. Um, so, yeah, basically, the narcissist has taken you down to your foundation. You know, they've stripped brick by brick by brick of who you are right down. So you need to build yourself back up. And to do that, and it's a painful journey and it's difficult to get on the first step and you might go three steps up and two steps back. The main thing to focus on is to keep going until you've rebuilt your house. And you're going to, like the three little piggies, you're going to build your house of bricks this time, not of straw and not of clay. It's going to be something that cannot be penetrated by the wolf and that is who the narcissist is. So. Working on yourself, it sounds cliched, but it is vital for you to rebuild yourself stronger and better than before. So there's a few elements to that. There's self-care, there's exercise, there's believing that you're good enough to spoil yourself, like to put effort into yourself. Whereas before, like for years, maybe you were looking after the narcissist. They were the important person. So long as they were okay. You know, you forgot about yourself. You maybe even didn't look after yourself, didn't get your hair cut. You know, mm -hmm. everything, money, everything was to go to them, to support them. That's how you become manipulated over the years. And now you have to really start to believe that you're worth it and that who you are is worth it and that you're not who the narcissist said you were, that you're defining yourself and you come back into your essence and you look at all aspects of yourself and you literally rebuild. You give to yourself instead of giving to the narcissist. You believe that you're worthy of all this attention and love that you're giving yourself. And in that way, you get a true sense eventually of who you are as a person. Your boundaries, you know, your brick walls are there. You have boundaries that you will not allow anyone to penetrate again because them trying to penetrate your boundaries and push you back and push you back until your boundaries collapse, you, you see that as abuse. So someone you come across in your life should be able to say, accept a, a nice no from you and respect you for, say, not being able to meet them or not being able to give them money or 
you know, whatever they're asking of you, mm-hmm. they respect you enough not to keep pushing at you and dimming your light and putting you down. And yeah, the open air, spirituality, following your passion in life, just like what you're doing now, nobody, you know, will be able to take this away from who you are now. I, I'm sure you will never let that go again, you know? Never. Um, no, never, ever. Because so, with all the research and education and working on myself, literally from the inside out, and I think that's really important that you said that because, you know, here I am working on myself again from the core of who I am, yet they're off on a, you know, another journey with another person without any self-development whatsoever. And that pattern will continue and continue. Whereas, no, no, I wanted to work out not only, I I guess, who that person was um, and why they are the way they are, but why did I get involved with someone like that? And I think, you know, taking some ownership and I'm not saying blame or anything like that, but reflecting on how did I fall into that trap and how can I prevent myself from falling into that trap ever again? Um, because I think self-reflection is really important. You know, what could I do the next time just to ensure that this never, ever happens again? Um, and, you know, with all the, as I said, all the education and the living through the journey and the healing, um, it's definitely changed me as a person. It's changed me massively. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping it's changed me in a way that I am so much more empathetic towards others and that, like yourself, we can use our experience to help other people. And I think that's really important of anyone who's gone through a similar situation. There is hope. There is light at the end of this tunnel. There was many times when I couldn't see it. But if we just take every day, every day, just keep working on ourselves, learning, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And when you get to the end, you can help so many more people. Who, who are stuck in it yeah. as well. And Grace, do you like yourself now? I do. I do. I do. I really do. So, and as well, you know, on the journey. Yeah, I really do, Paula. You know, there's so many things about myself that, yeah, I love about myself. Yeah. And yes. they're qualities that I've had my whole life. You know, they're qualities that I've been brought up to have. Um, they're qualities, I guess, that I've worked on a lot. And yeah, so the next person that comes into my life, I I regard them as they'll be very lucky because of the amount of self-development I have done. But I will also be very lucky to meet my, you know, match as well. Um, And I really look forward to the day that that happens, having come out the other side of all of this. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Paula, thank you so much. I think, let me just see if there's another little question. Um, I was going to ask where listeners can go to, I suppose, for help. Is there anywhere specifically that you would signpost people to go to for help? Um, In relation to kind of the internet resources. Yeah, Yeah. internet. Yeah. Well, go to the narcissistic community or sorry, the narcissistic awareness community on YouTube. Um, I can tell you some of the channels that helped me when I started off, if that's any help. Perfect. Um, 
one of the channels I know at one stage, you know, pe people will say to me that they go to sleep sometimes listening to videos and they take the videos on a run and to work, they listen to them as part of the healing journey. And I did too. Mm. I did too. So the person I used to take to bed with me was, uh, I think it's ASSC Direct. It's a guy called Quinn Halliday. And he's a very calm person and he really explains the narcissistic personality disorder very well. So he's one I would recommend. Um, on the spiritual level, Pink Girl teaches another American channel. She's very good if you are into the biblical spiritual side of it. Um, the classic, I suppose, but it's hard to listen to. It depends on where you are in your healing is H.G. Tudor, who is a diagnosed um, narcissistic personality disorder and also a psychopath. Uh, he gives very valid and relevant information on YouTube. But again, it is a hard listen. It's probably best if you kind of have accepted the situation and are further on on your healing. And then I suppose I'd I'd recommend my own channel. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Narcon. Um, and yeah, and I've been basically, uh, oh, there's another one, Trace Face. She's very good listen and uh, she's another American channel. Actually, there's, I don't know of any Irish channels. Um, I know you said you're, you're doing a channel now, which is great. Well, this um, podcast really, um, uh, but not yeah. necessarily a channel, but yes, this podcast. But you're right. I, I didn't know of any Irish channels until I came across yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, oh, yeah. Narc Survivor. He's uh, a guy from Liverpool, just bringing it back to our kind of side of the world. But it doesn't matter. It's worldwide and the channels are great. Yeah. And you kind of you'll find your own person that that speaks to you as such that you resonate with. So it's worth kind of doing your own research as well. Absolutely. But, I followed a lady, uh, Natasha, uh, sorry, Caroline Strawson. She was the first um, online lady that I came across and she was amazing. Oh, she, but she she's really into, I suppose, the neuroscience behind or the, the mental side of the disorder. Um, mm. Again, lots of YouTube channels uh, throughout my journey at the beginning. I went to CBT, um, not necessarily for narcissistic um, abuse, but I guess that was the very first thing that I did was I availed of some help of a CBT therapist which the narcissist called and wanted to do their own therapy as well um, at the time. Uh, but oh, yes, no. I know. So um, yeah. on the back of that, yeah, loads of YouTube channels, brilliant, some really good podcasts. Again, Caroline Strawson was a fantastic one for that. And then when I came across yours, Paula, it just, your channel has spoken to me more personally, I think, than any of the others. And it's really, really helped me. And I take you to bed with me and I take you on my journey <laughs> to school in the morning. And, yeah. you know, as I've said, you know, I'm 80, 90% fully healed. Uh, but when we do have those little days, when we do need to pop a little video on, I pop you on. And what you say, I, I'm nodding my head the whole way through. I'm nodding my head the whole way mm -hmm. to work going. Yes, that is true. I understand. I resonate. I am not mad. This is exactly what happened. And it's invaluable the the message that you're giving out there to the world. So I really, really hope that your YouTube channel does continue to go from strength to strength because you're helping people like me so much without even realizing. Mm -hmm. And you're turning a very um, 
hard situation into something really positive. So thank you so, so much. Thanks, Grace. Thanks. You're so welcome. And I wish you all the best in your continued healing. Um, Yeah, continued. (laughs) Yeah. As well. And with everything that you go on to do, but I'll certainly still be an avid follower of your channel. So for everyone listening, um, if you'd like to then follow uh, Paula, you can get her at Narcon on her YouTube channel. Um, And I would love for you to share this episode with a friend if you think that it would help. Please share this episode on social media and head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. I can't wait to join you all again soon when I will bring to you another amazing guest on the quest to finding your saving grace in each day.